Hello and welcome back to the History of Video Gaming. My name is Ben and I am joined by the one and only Wes. What's up, Wes? How you doing? Not too much. I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm chilling. Been playing some games. Oh, yeah. Some games with you. Yes, yeah. Great. So, not to spoil anything, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about <laughs> it either. So, we're just like <laughs> talk about these game, this game we've been playing, but we're nobody's ever going to know. I know. We'll, we'll tell you guys next week. But uh, why don't you start off by what else you've been playing? Yeah, so I uh, thought, you know, Benjamin bought me a game for Christmas. I got to check it out. Oh, man, you played it. Yes, yes. I'm really, I'm really interested about this. <laughs> so I've been playing Ratropolis a little bit, uh, like a Metropolis for rats is what it is. And I got to say, like, I mean, I'm maybe a little bit judgmental off the cuff i saw the image i'm like this looks like a really small company made this game but <laughs> it's it's actually really good it's pretty awesome okay when you gifted it to me you said you know uh i hope this gives you slay the spire vibes you know sort of deck building mm-hmm. roguelike different characters that kind of thing and it really is it's got a lot going for it that's like slay the spire but it also has the added i don't know like weirdness interesting factors of being sort of a tower defense and sort of a um like city builder so Hmm. basically there's lore which i love too this guy does this narration at the beginning about retropolis you know they're this huge city of rats they were making great strides in technology and then someone got greedy and they're like what if we could cheat death and now there's zombie rats okay that's basically the story so then retropolis falls and you're there's like uh three maps that you can go on and you're trying to like rebuild a town and you start out with the merchant leader character who you know like all his traits and special abilities are based around making gold and using gold to buy troops and stuff like that Hmm. but the whole game is on like this 2d sideways view of a city there's a lot of games that do this, but I can't think of any offhand to reference. But basically, you're looking at the town like from a cross section of the side, and you have walls to your left and your right, and enemies spawn in from either one of those sides or sometimes both those sides in waves, like a tower defense. And like I've seen a couple tower defense games do, you can also uh, rush the wave and make it come early if you think you're prepared for it and you get a little bit extra money for doing that mm-hmm. so it's got all that going for it but then the way that you put troops on the battlefield because it's there's not actually towers but it is like a defense kind of game is you have cards and you have a hand that you draw and it's a deck building game so you're slowly building a deck of cards as you go it's got a ton of the same card effects as like probably most other deck building games that you think of there's like ethereal cards that if you play them they disappear there's cards that if you don't play them that turn they get destroyed from your deck stuff like that and it's just this weird bundle of all these different game modes that actually works pretty well together um (laughs) good yeah yeah i only unlocked two of the leaders but there's six i think and they actually have pretty different play styles too. Like the merchant guy who I start out as, you play a card and then all of his units are like really strong, 
but they have a timer called a service timer because I guess the idea is that you're like paying these mercenaries. And then after the service Mm -hmm. timer runs out, they just like disappear. They're out of there. And then the military leader, none of his cards have service because he's a different like pool, which you can build the deck from. But all of his are just like pretty strong, but not super strong. And they stay forever. So you can just like keep building your military might that way. But you have less means to make uh, money from the cards that you draw. Okay. Yeah. So I was really surprised that (laughs) it was very like fleshed out. I don't know how balanced it is because I'm not good enough at the game that I've actually beat it yet. You have to survive 30 waves and it gets pretty crazy. You can like keep expanding too, so there's also a bit of give and take there. You can build more buildings if you extend your stuff out further, but then you're a little bit more vulnerable on the outer edges. And yeah, I don't know. I haven't played tons of it. I've only played like I think an hour or two, but it's still really good and there's a lot more to discover there. Is it like a real campaign or is it more just like a I don't know, like a just a game mode kind of feel. It's just a game mode, which I think it would be cool if it was like, you know, we just yeah. fled Ratropolis. Now we got to build up one small city, almost like StarCraft style or like right the Homeworld games where you're just kind of like, it's still basically a game mode, but they give you a little bit of like, this is why you're in this territory doing this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And especially with a single player card game, I just think it's really fun to get cards that are just OP, you know? And if you're playing like a campaign, you could probably get like, um, you know, this soldier is just better than your soldiers before. And it's not like balance is a, is a concern because it's part of the campaign, you know what I mean? But it still makes it feel really good. Yeah. Well, they do have something uh, in Slate Aspire. You have, I think, um, levels for each of the characters. Mm-hmm. That that's where it's sort of like a roguelike where you do runs, but you have persistence for some oh, okay. unlockables outside of it. Because as you level up, you unlock more cards from your total deck pool that'll show up in like random events or from shopkeepers and stuff like that. So there is that sort of campaign where it's like, okay, I leveled up my merchant, now I unlocked two more cards for the next time I do a run, basically. I got you. Okay, well, at least it has something like that. Yeah, yeah. So there is some sort of progression. My main gripe with it right now is that, you know, so the zombie rats, that's like the big enemy, right? Mm -hmm. And after the first 10 waves, you're not even fighting zombie rats anymore. It's just like these (laughs) these random uh, lizards and otters dressed as pirates with swords. (laughs) (laughs) It's a complicated world, Wes. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, they look, they look cool. The art's pretty good and they have like, um, all the mice when you play them have like Hollow Knight style, like little noises that they make where there's like, her, to do, and they all have like their little, <laughs> it's, it's funny right. and cute. But um, yeah, I just want everything to be zombies, you know? But yeah. other than that, it's actually surprisingly fun. It's got a bit of a like small studio feel, um, but it's really cool. And I'm very uh, thankful I got it for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, when I got it for you, I really had no idea what it was, but. <laughs> So I'm glad it's okay. Yeah. I think it I think I read that it was the studio's first game. It's really I mean it seems really well thought out for the studio's first game. I did get a little bit of a vibe that the guy who voiced the intro might have been like someone who worked at the company, you know, not like a professional right. voice actor, but 
that's also me just being a bit mean because it was really good. It just didn't sound like, you know, top tier professional or whatever. But right. Yeah, that's cool. So go check it out. Ratropolis. If you're into that kind of game, it's worth it and worth supporting a studio that's doing uh, some cool stuff. Yeah, doing something different for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what have you been playing recently? Well, I got to f- wrap up uh, my Star Wars saga. <laughs> so I've been playing Dark Forces 2 for the last couple of weeks, right? And I finally beat it. Like last weekend, I think I beat it. Nice. Um, and yeah, it was. The ending was kind of weird. The last boss fight was incredibly frustrating because once the boss got to really low health, which by the way, the boss only, it only takes like two or three hits for you to die. And I had to hit him like 25 times for him to get low enough to do this, (laughs) which is like impossible. If I didn't have the good path talent tree to heal myself, I don't know how you're supposed to do it, but um, the healing helped me. And I abused it a lot, but yeah, so he basically runs away when, when he gets low and he would go to the middle of the map and once he got there, he was invulnerable and then he would heal himself to full. And let me tell you, it already took like 25 hits to kill him like, to get that far. <laughs> and it turned out that the only way to, I had to look it up, the only way to actually kill him is when he runs to the middle of the map, you actually have to put your guy's body in between you and the middle. So he kind of like runs into you and can't get through and keep attacking him because he won't attack back at that point. He's just running away until he dies, which is not a very like <laughs> something I would think about. <laughs> right. That's so strange. <laughs> and it's such a, like a janky mechanic too, because it's not like collision in this game from 1997 is great, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> like these are two things that are moving in real time, colliding off one another. So it was just such a weird thing. <laughs> I had an idea of maybe like he's vulnerable to guns when he's running away. So if you fought him like in the corner of the map and then he ran towards the middle, maybe you could shoot him down. But I don't know. He was not affected by guns at all in the actual fight. Even like grenade launchers like doesn't (laughs) do anything. So (laughs) you have to use the lightsaber, which is kind of annoying, (laughs) but, uh, it was all right. It took a long time, but, uh, I got him down and uh, I finished the game and it wasn't really like an epilogue. It was kind of like, we're safe now, (laughs) (laughs) which was weird. Maybe uh, maybe they'll make up for it in the the next game. Yeah. Speaking of the next game, I haven't started it yet, but it's, um, the third one is kind of weird. It's actually kind of sold as an expansion pack to the second game. So I don't know if the campaign is as long as the second game. But it uses the same engine, although it did come out a couple of years later. So I think they had some upgrades and things look a little bit better. And I think it's to do like our building from the story of this one. I'm already going to start as like a Jedi and there's more powers and stuff in the next okay. one. Okay, nice. So I'm hoping it's good, but um, I'm really just looking forward to the fourth one because that's the actual Jedi Knight series that I'm familiar with. <laughs> right. The ones that came out on PS2 or whatever it was. So, but yeah, it's, it's good to be done the first two. Between the two, I definitely like the first one better. I think, even though the first one, it didn't even have like mouse aiming support in it. It was just, <laughs> uh, like Doom style, right? 
Yeah, just Doom style. You could use the page up and page down buttons to aim up and down. That sounds painful. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't have to do it very much. But um, I liked it better just because it, it had a wider variety of places. I think I've talked before, but this game I thought was kind of boring in the places you went right. and what you did there. So uh, a lot of windowless rooms, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> So cool. Glad that you finished it up though. And you can, I mean, yeah. you're, you're working your way through that whole series. Yeah. I definitely want to get to the good ones at the end. That's my goal. <laughs> and I don't think the expansion pack will take too long because it's an expansion pack. So, but who knows? It could be like the same length. I feel like that's been done. I want to say like the age of mythology Titans expansion, the campaign for that was like the same length as the <laughs> main campaign. Yeah. All bets so. are off, man. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, as long as they take me to some more interesting places, we'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully I have better boss fights. <laughs> right, yeah. A little bit less uh, actual features and not like, hey, I wonder if our engine can handle this. Let's make it a key mechanic of the boss fight. <laughs> <laughs> right. And know what else is weird? Is like the whole, like I guess, story behind the game was you're trying to beat this guy to the Valley of the Jedi because whatever is there is going to be like some massive power right and he goes in and he gets the power first the bad guy and he walks out and then you fight him but i still don't have any idea what the power was <laughs> <laughs> like uh he had this well he did the lightning but he also had kind of like a i don't know energy orb ball that he would throw at people it's like is that what he learned in there like i don't even know <laughs> like he didn't tell me it's the power to uh heal in the middle of the arena that's what but he found maybe. in there <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh yeah it was cool i enjoyed it but it'll be nice to move on <laughs> nice all right should we move in yeah so let's uh get started on our special topic for today uh we've been doing a lot of histories recently but it's worth looking at a lot of these companies and their early history just because there's so many great ones to talk about right now so today we're going to give a background on midway and bally Leading up to where they are right now, I'm going to talk about where they started, and Ben's going to go over some of the games that they've come out with. So as we know, Bally and Midway are associated with each other, so I'm going to start with Bally first because they're the parent company at this time. Bally started all the way back in 1931, creating coin-op machines. Uh, and apparently even before that, it stemmed from a printing press company in Chicago from like late 1800s so traces of bally have been around for years but it wasn't called that until i think uh late 30s or 40s but they were originally from chicago and the name came from the company's first game ballyhoo which was just some coin op i don't think it was like a pinball game but some other type of coin operated game and they've done tons of stuff on this path before they started making video games. They were creating vending machines, specifically a coffee vending machine, I think, slot machines for casinos and tons of other stuff. At one point they started their own record label and they were doing like music. So Bally's been all over the place, but eventually they ended up moving towards video games with the Bally Astrocade as we've seen now. And some other weird stuff that I found about them is apparently in the, I think, 80s and late 70s, some of the higher-ups are going to have to resign 
because there's accusations that they are tied to the Chicago Mafia uh, and other organized crime groups around the world. So <laughs> I don't know. It said accusations in the Wikipedia article, so I don't know if it was ever proven, but there might have been a little bit of uh, mafia money behind some of this big business in Bali. <laughs> but the reason Bali ended up picking up uh, Midway and moving into video games is in 1958, the founder of the company passed away and Bally sort of started losing money at that point and they weren't doing well for a little bit. So they ended up becoming a publicly traded company and they made a lot of money that way. With They uh, had some investors that picked them up and they were able to buy several companies themselves too. Uh, one of them being a German coin-op game maker, I think, and the other important one in 1969 being Midway. So Bally is behind a lot of these, but we don't really see a lot of video games under the Bally name other than the Astrocade, uh, because they basically treated Midway as their video game production arm. So then Midway was formed back in 1958, and they did, I think, coin-op machines and casino slot machines and that kind of thing up until 1973 when they were one of the few companies who actually paid Atari for a licensed version of Pong. They didn't just uh, rip it off and make their own. So good guy midway out there. <laughs> and before the 1980s, interestingly enough, when they're making all these games, they actually didn't have any in-house programmers or engineers at all. And they contracted a lot of their work out to Dave Nutting Associates, who we've uh, mentioned a couple times before. They've also worked together with Taito a lot, and they licensed each other's games a couple times. And they also worked together with Namco a little bit later in the future. And it's interesting that Midway, even though they're getting started in 1973, their partnership with Taito and Namco is what is eventually going to lead to two of the biggest games of all time, Space Invaders and Pac-Man, coming from Midway. Um, mm -hmm. So it's it's a big name. It's good to talk about it now and see where they started. And one thing I didn't realize when I was started looking into this is we keep talking about how big Midway is and how they're still around. And it's like an arcade name that you sort of recognize but apparently they went bankrupt in 2010 and they don't exist anymore. I didn't know that. Uh -oh. I, I thought they were still making like arcade cabinets, but uh, since 2010, their company's been dissolved and Warner, of course, who owns Atari in 1978, Warner now owns most of the assets to Midway. So I don't think they put the Midway name on anything, but the games that Midway made when they're being reproduced or, you know, like those giant, crazy, 10-foot-tall Pac-Mans that they have now in the arcades, stuff like that. It's probably under the either Namco license name or the Warner license name. Mm -hmm. But that's just sort of how both of those companies got started and why they are now working together. And we'll sort of not use their name interchangeably, but if we get it mixed up, it's because Bally owns Midway and Midway is making most of the games. Right. Speaking of games. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> wonderful transition. <laughs> but we can talk to you guys about the, the games Bally Midway made in their early history. Just so you guys know, all these recaps we do, I'm putting them up on the website in the developer section, which is kind of a new section. So if you want to see this list, you can find it there. But let me start by talking about Bally's games. They only made three that I'm aware of between 
73 and 76, which is where I'm looking for today. Those three are Crazy Foot, Tennis Scoop, and Tennis Scoop 2, which are all Pong clones. Two of them came out in 73 and the other one was in 74. But now looking at Midway's games, they're the ones that actually license, as you mentioned, Pong from Atari, one of like the only companies to do so. That license was called Winner, and uh, they had a couple other Winner games that came out in 1973, Winner, Winner 2, and Winner 4, which, as you can imagine, was like Pong with two paddles and probably Pong with four paddles, if I had to guess, <laughs> or, uh, you know, per person. Also in 73, they came out with Leader, which was a Pong variation where one person controlled the top and bottom part of the screen, and the other person controlled the sides. And then they had a game called Asteroid, which was a clone of Atari's Space Race. Then getting into 74, we have a game called Playtime. Playtime was a Odyssey Pong clone, so you could go horizontal. And had a, a disappearing score when the ball was in play, which I guess was still revolutionary in 74. Right. <laughs> they also came out with TV Basketball, which was a clone of Taito's Basketball. They had Ballpark, which was a clone of Ramtech's Baseball. And uh, that's it for 74. Not too much there. And then 75, that's where like things actually start happening. The first couple are still clones. They have TV Flipper, which was a clone of Exidy's TV Pinball. You also have a game called Racer and Wheels, which were Speed Race clones from Taito, which uh, we're going to start seeing Taito now be mentioned in a lot of these things. We also have Wheels 2, which is the sequel for Speed Race. And then finally, in November of 75, Gunfight. And I think that's the kind of the game that changes everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know Dave Nutting Associates was involved in that game because it was pretty significantly different from Western Gun from Taito, where the idea came from. But I feel like Gunfight is like the moment when Midway becomes a company that just licenses and clones things to actually doing their own stuff and doing it really well. So Gunfight comes out in late 75, but then in 76, you've got Sea Wolf, which was an original title from Midway. You've got Tornado Baseball, which obviously has roots from the Ramtech baseball, but, you know, wasn't like a response to somebody else making a baseball game. Like they were taking the initiative, trying to make it better. You have 280 Zap and Midnight Racer. Those are clones of the uh, Nurberg Ring, you know, the uh, Night Driver game. And then finally, Amazing Maze, which you also reviewed, Wes. I don't know if you remember that one. I don't think you liked it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it was fantastic. <laughs> but uh, that was the last thing they did in 76. And then, you know, they're going to continue doing stuff through 77 and 78 where we are now. But I figured that was enough to get us started. But you can really see, like, I feel like their progression. One thing that you can see throughout all these years is a company that, I feel does things the right way. They get licenses by people. They make connections with other big companies like Taito and Namco, apparently in the future. And um, I think that helps them, you know, not get sued. <laughs> and <Right>. Actually, <laughs> like before all this happened, Midway was already making coin-op games. So they had a bigger production than even Atari did. So I'm sure if they get a license from the smaller company, they could probably outproduce it. <laughs> in a way. 
because they already had a lot of production and, and employees and stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to watch that progression from making Pong clones to kind of cloning and, and licensing other games like TV Basketball and Ballpark and TV Flipper and Wheels. And then finally kind of really putting their own unique spin on things in Gunfight and doing completely originals in Seawolf and Tornado Baseball later in 75 and 76. So I just like watching that progression of, of this yeah. company that is happily still here. Right. <laughs> Which usually when we do these things, they're not, they're not here anymore. <laughs> yeah, but we know we're going to be talking about them a lot as we go through this. So good yeah. to just check in now, see where they're at. And we're already starting to see like a, a rise to greatness. So very excited to see what stuff they come out up with in the future. Yeah. And uh, we're going to be reviewing some uh, Atari 2600 games today, so I'm sure we're going to be comparing them to the originals that Midway made on the Astrocade version, and uh, also the original arcade games that Midway made for some of these. So without further ado, let's jump into the games. everybody welcome back from that musical interlude let's get straight into the games today we're starting off real quick with reviews right off the bat we're not going to keep you waiting no honorable mentions here until like 20 minutes from now so (laughs) (laughs) the first game that i got to take a look at today is fire truck slash smoky joe by atari which is came out in um, June for Fire Truck and July for Smokey Joe, and this is an arcade cabinet. We're going to be talking about twenty six hundred games in a little bit, so I had to square that away so we don't get them too confused. But this one is an arcade cabinet, which is really weird designed and really cool. Fire Truck is a two player game where one person is sitting down driving, and then behind where the first person's sitting there's somebody standing up uh driving at the same time which i'll explain or well i'll explain now there's a cab that you're driving the front of the car and then the rear part of the fire truck is a trailer that's you know sort of attached by a hitch there and so you have to drive both of them separately although only the cab accelerates uh, which is sort of the main gimmick and fun thing about this game The cabinet itself also has these really nice bright red, orange, and white fire coloring with an old school fire truck on the side, Uh, like very old school. Like it looks like the first like Ford Model T cars or whatever with a fire truck attached to the back of it. It also has firefighters on the side of the screen that are putting out fires in a building. 
Uh, so it looks really great. And of course, it has this weird thing where there's a chair and then a steering wheel in the back of the chair where somebody stands. So it just kind of looks impressive and unique. In the flyer, Atari also very interestingly labels this as their first cooperative game. And it's really cool to see that language in 1978 as something that's still, you know, cooperative game is still the way that you describe that type of game today. Mm -hmm. And they put it in quotes. So I feel like it must be really early on in the use of that phrase. Uh, so it's a cooperative game where you're working together. You're not trying to screw the other person over when you're driving this fire truck. And Smokey Joe, which I also mentioned, is actually just a dedicated one player version of this game where instead of having the whole sit down thing, the whole cabinet stand up so that's a little smaller and it could fit in like smaller bars who didn't want to get that gigantic arcade cabinet for fire truck. But interestingly, the single player version of the game is still available in the fire truck cabinet. This was more just like to sell a variation of it. So getting into the gameplay, it's a one to two player game where one player drives the cab at the front and the other player drives the trailer in the back. Like I mentioned in Smokey Joe, you can pick which part you want to drive. So you can either just drive the cab or just drive the trailer and the computer drives the other part. I think it's a little weird for a one player cabinet that they didn't just let you drive it all together, but I guess then it would basically be the same as other driving games. And before I get too far into the gameplay, I should mention that this is straight up Superbug in all of the technology. It's made by the same developer as Superbug, and Superbug was made by Key Games. So very obviously, after Key Games was, I don't know if they've been dissolved yet, but at some point they're going to be defunct. Um, they just decided, oh, let's make one of these games slightly different under the Atari name. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is awesome. Glad to see more of the Superbug game. But that's why it's a little weird to me they didn't just, like, rebrand Smokey Joe as, like, you're just driving a regular fire truck. But I don't know. They wanted to keep the gimmick in there. But the reason that you really need to coordinate with the person to keep the trailer straight is that when the trailer isn't lined up directly behind the cab of the fire truck, the car is just really hard to control, and it moves slower. There's this constant dragging noise because I guess, you know, the trailer's like sliding across the road and the trailer doesn't automatically turn when the car turns. So it can hit walls too if you're going around a corner and cause you to crash even if the car doesn't hit it. So you really have to coordinate if you want to get a good time and get as far as you can. But as I mentioned, other than that visual quirk and the weird driving, it's basically just the same as Superbug which isn't a bad thing. You're just driving on these curving roads that scroll on all sides of the screen, which is really awesome. You can pick easy or hard tracks, which me and Ben did a little bit of research and we're pretty sure are randomly generated. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of different tracks. Even though they say that you pick an easy and hard, it's likely a pool from both of those on which track you actually do. The person who sets up the game cabinet could also select different times for each game, different points for the amount of distance that you cover. And as you're going, of course, there's obstacles like in Superbug, like oil slicks, opposing traffic. No sand in this one, just the opposing traffic and oil slicks, but that's really enough that it still causes you a lot of problems. And also, if you hit the side of the road, which in this game is a curb or a sidewalk, 
you crash and come to a full stop. And of course, that's the main way that you're deterred is crashing and then you lose a lot of time and lose a lot of points. So getting into the ratings I had for this. For graphics, I gave it a 3 out of 10. First things first, it is black and white, which is lame, but I still felt like I could give it a 3 out of 10 because it makes up for the lack of color with everything else that it does visually. Obviously, even though it's not the first time we've seen it because it's based off of Superbug, the scrolling graphics are super cool. It makes the map feel so much more dynamic. You're not just driving up the screen in a straight line. You can loop around. You can go right. You can go any direction. And it just looks really good and gives you this feeling that you're like traversing through this gigantic neighborhood or whatever it is. And there's also a ton of different visuals on the screen, which I feel like it's doing a lot for a cabinet at this time. There's the truck and the trailer, which both look really good. Uh, the trailer in particular has a guy standing on the back of it and a wheel, so you can actually see that he's steering down there, and a ladder laying on the top of the trailer, so you know that it's a fire truck. Uh, so there's no, like, you have to imagine that this square is a fire truck, which is always great to see. The road itself is a little boring, just plain black, but there are oil slicks that pop up, and either traffic or parked cars, they're stationary, they, or they are stationary. They could be meant to be traffic, but so there's cars dotted that look pretty good too. And while all this is going on, you're also driving through a city or a development, and the whole outside of the track is dotted with top-down views of houses, and there's even cars parked in the driveways of the houses that are outside the track. There's like the same little shrubs and trees from Superbug that are scattered throughout the neighborhood as well. So even though there's no color, it's just got so much going on visually. It runs smoothly. The trailer looks hilarious when it's sliding all over the place and you can't keep it straight. Uh, so I give it a 3 out of 10 for that. For sounds, I gave it a 2.5 out of 10. The engine, car sounds, and oil slick tire screeches are all really good, but they're all definitely exactly the same as what was used in Superbug. Uh, so I really like them, and I'm glad they're there, but they sound a little bit too similar. I would have liked it if they switched it up a little bit from that. But there are new sounds that I really like, which are the horns and the bells that are controlled by the players. You have this big button next to the steering wheel so that you could play the bell or the horn wherever you want or whenever you want. And part of what I love about it is that there's no point in doing it. Like, it doesn't do anything to the game, it's just... You know, you want to really feel like you're driving a fire truck, so you smack the horn whenever you're going around turns or whatever. Uh, so I think that's great. There's also a scraping noise whenever the trailer is like sideways and not following the uh, cab, which is pretty good, but it's not fantastic. And the other main sound that I like that really helps sell the theme is, of course, a fire truck siren that plays the whole entire time. It didn't get too annoying, but Anything that plays the whole entire time you're playing a game has a chance to get annoying if you keep playing it. Mm -hmm. But with all those things included, other than not having music, it really had all the sounds that I would have hoped for out of a fire truck racing game. <laughs>
And then for gameplay, I gave it a 2.5 out of 10 there as well. I think the firetruck driving gimmick is really at its best with two players. There's tons of mayhem because there's no way you're going to be that good at it when you first start. There's crashes. I imagine people yelling at each other because there's poor communication, uh, which I could just see it being a ton of fun in an arcade. Like the first time you sit down with your friends and you're like, why did you crash? How did you steer that way? And all this kind of stuff. It's cooperative. And I could see that just making a lot of chaos in the best way possible. I could also imagine people, you know, right when this came out, going like week after week to get good at it and um, master how to play it because it's this fun team thing. So I think that's pretty cool. It's a weird spin on the great driving super bug, but I think it does really work well. The one player modes though, and Smokey Joe seem really weird to me. Unless the computer controls really well, I don't know why you would ever want to switch out and play the game by yourself and have the computer do the other part. I don't know. It just seems strange. I did end up getting the emulator to work with the computer when I accidentally picked that I wanted to drive the trailer. But that's just weird because the computer's just driving you around and I'm like balancing basically. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I could see it being kind of fun if you didn't have someone who you wanted to play this with. But it just feels like a stopgap for I'm doing this until I can play it two player. I think that's where the real gold is for this game. But then for relevance, I gave it a 7 out of 10. Atari says that it's their first cooperative game. But unless I'm forgetting something, I think it might be the first like branded cooperative game. There might have been mm -hmm. some that had cooperative elements, but I think this is the first one that's like, hey, this is a cooperative video game. So I think that makes it pretty relevant on its own. And also just the fact that Atari took an awesome racing game and awesome technology from Key Games with Superbug and officially added it to the Atari lineup by making Firetruck. Uh, so I think it's pretty relevant that they did that as well. So that gives me an overall rating of 3 out of 10. It's a great looking and great sounding game. Looks like it's a ton of fun with two players. But if you only have one player, I really think you're better off just playing Superbug instead. That's fair. Yeah, but it, it's, it's weird, but I think it works as long as you have two players, you know? <laughs> I do wonder, like, if it was just a normal fire truck controlled by one person, would it be better? I don't know. I think that would still be really fun, you know? Yeah. And they're just straight up rebranding Superbug yeah. and making an Atari game, but tons of companies have done that and it's worked fine. So I'm kind of surprised they didn't, but... <laughs> well, the, what's weird about like Superbug had the scrolling playfield, and I don't think there's been any game that's done it since. Yeah, um, yeah. And this one, just going through like a town instead of just the forest, which is what Superbug was, I think is interesting enough. You know? <laughs> yeah, it definitely like, makes I'd be it happy look with that. really visually different. Yeah, right. Like that could have been enough of a change to be like, okay, now it's called Fire Truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But instead, they have this weird gimmick, and I feel like. Some people are going to love the gimmick and some people are going to be like, this is stupid. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I think you'd get bored of it pretty fast, but I do think you could have fun with it with two people. But like mm -hmm. one player just looks like it sucks so much. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. All right. Well, fire truck. It's always good to see the scrolling play field. I hope that more people do that because yeah, it's, it's so good. It's got to be coming soon. Yeah. 
So let's move on from Fire Truck. That was a good Atari game. My game was not a good Atari game. Oh boy. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't terrible either, but um, it's called Skydiver. It came out in June of 78. And um, it's weird. For some reason, I like, I'm just not about it, even though there's nothing <laughs> bad about the game. Right. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> the cabinet itself is styled really nicely. You've got a bunch of like comic book style pictures of like a uh, a thrill seeker, you know, skydiving through the clouds or whatever. But one thing about the cabinet that is really cool and probably would make this game is that in this game you're going to be clicking a button to exit a plane, and then you like basically on the keyboard you'd click another button to open the chute and land on a certain spot on the map. That's like your goal but uh on the actual cabinet the pulling the button for the shoot is actually just like a metal ripcord looking thing that you pull up <laughs> it's like a metal ring right oh, cool. so um i think that's actually cool so there is like a peripheral component to this game that i wasn't able to to use obviously but uh i think that's kind of a nice little feature but as far as the game itself like i mentioned you have a plane that's going across the screen left to right or right to left you're going to click a button and your guy will jump out of the plane. At that point, there's a flag on the ground, which is just a 2D ground. So it's, you know, either to the left or right of where, you know, your, uh, your guy jumps out of the plane. When, when you jump out of the plane, you're going to have the momentum from the plane kind of helping you. So you kind of want to jump early. And then the further down you can go without pulling your chute, the more points you'll get. So if you, mistime the jump and say like you jumped past where you're going to go you have to pull the chute quickly or else you're going to miss it but you won't get many points for that whereas if you do a better timing for your jump you won't have to pull the chute until later and you'll get more points so that's basically the entire game <laughs> <laughs> just pulling the chute at the right time and landing on the flag at the bottom uh, what direction the plane comes in is random and then also the like area that you can land in, which a flag kind of points to the middle of it usually, but it's like a a range of an area on the screen. So like, I don't know, two inches on the left side or something that you can hit. But over time, that area will be less after each jump, you know, half an inch or whatever. It'll get smaller. So you have to be more and more precise hitting it. And then also the plane will start lower so you have less time to figure out what side of the screen you're coming in on basically <laughs> um which is always a little weird the other weird thing about it is that you have three lives so you have three misses but then when those lives get used the other player if they still have lives they can just keep jumping which is weird to me because that means to me it's probably more important to jump and pull your chute quick and make sure you hit the spot than it would be to get more points and be riskier because if you lose all your lives the other person could just make easy jump after easy jump after easy jump until they get more points than you <laughs> right yeah sense? it's kind of a weird thing so i don't yeah. know if i like that doesn't really reward you for the risk much yeah i guess um you can't like always keep pulling your chute all the time because uh, again your plane will start lower and your ground will become smaller over time so maybe it still rewards it but 
it's definitely like a closer match than I would think. And <laughs> doesn't make you feel good if you, you know, mess up and you hit the ground or whatever. Or open your shoot, but you don't hit the target area. That'll take up a life. Also, if you don't jump from your plane and it goes all the way across the screen, you'll lose a life, which is annoying. <laughs> so once the, the plane spawns, you have to jump. But that's basically the whole the whole game. There is some weird parts to it, but I'll talk about that once I get into my readings. So let's start with graphics. The game is really going for a charm aspect uh and i feel like with some people it, it would work it reminded me of stunt cycle a little bit even though i prefer what stunt cycle looks like and how it does but when your guy jumps out of the plane he like wiggles his arms and stuff you know <laughs> like he's scared right and then um when you pull the shoot it actually there's an animation of like pulling a shoot and then once you pull the chute, you can kind of steer the chute a little bit. And so if you're kind of like going to the right, he'll pull down on the right side, which is cool. I like all that. And then when you hit the bottom, even if you hit the flag area or not, the chute will fall down behind your dude, which is cool. And then he'll like throw his hands up in the air like he's the best person in the world or something. I don't know. <laughs> and all that's great. All that's, all that's nice. Uh, the flags kind of wave. They look really weird. <laughs> but <laughs> there is some different sprites for the flags. The airplanes are like biplane looking things. They're not the best airplanes I've seen, but they're not terrible. Weirdly enough, after the first person dies, only the first person, an ambulance will spawn in and run towards them. <laughs> and pick them up and take them away or something. <laughs> It seems like a weird thing to only happen once in the game. <laughs> right, yeah. But it that's what happens. The one thing I do really like about this game is that the live counter, like how many lives you have, it's a picture of like a stick figure. So you have three stick figures when you start the game. <laughs> and I kind of like that other than hearts or... I feel like it would just probably be a number usually for games coming out in 78. Um, and then... Apparently this game was developed by someone who was coming from pinball machines. So this is like weird mechanic of like a random letter in the word skydiver will like pop up. And if you jump at that time, you can get the letter. And if you get all the letters, you get a free life or something. But honestly, there's no way you can do that and like be trying to win the game. So <laughs> I don't know. It seems like a really weird thing to add. But it's there. <laughs> um, but that's basically all the graphics in the game. Overall, there's a lot of animation. It is black and white with a blue overlay. So, you know, it's not very colorful, certainly. Most of the screen is blank because it's sky that you're following through. There are a couple, like, either overlays or, like, cardboard clouds on the actual cabinet on the screen. But they're not, like, part of the graphics. So I don't know, it's, um, there's a lot of good animation, but it's also kind of boring and plain in my opinion. So I give it a 2.75 out of 10 because the animation I thought was so good, especially when the guy hits the ground and the parachute keeps falling behind him, which is a nice attention to detail. And he like does the thumbs up or whatever. <laughs> I like that. For sound, I gave it a two and a half out of 10 as well. Kind of high because 
there is a musical song when you load this game up. A little tune plays. I feel like we've heard that a fair amount of times now, but it's still relatively rare. And anytime we get any type of music, I'm going to be pretty happy. So it's like a plus point just for that. Right. And my score. Um, but then you also have a sound of like a parachute opening and you have a sound when your guy hits the ground and succeeds or fails. And you also have a sound when the ambulance comes <laughs> the one time. <laughs> But I don't think there's any engine noises for the airplanes, though. So there could be times in the game where it's just silent. And that's weird. I feel like they should just put the airplane engines in there. All you hear is, like, the chute open, some beeps when you land, the ambulance, and the one piece of music. So it's mixed. It's a mixed bag, I'd say. two and a half there and then gameplay this is the harshest one i gave it a one and a half out of ten i don't know i'm just like not interested in an airplane going by and you time the shoot open that's the whole game <laughs> right yeah and um as nice as the animations are i just wasn't about it i don't know i don't it's not a bad game i just think it's kind of a forgettable game and um there's just no interesting things about the gameplay whatsoever in my opinion it's just like a timing game versing another opponent is weird because of the weird scoring method and whoever outlives the other one can probably just rack up points forever so that's weird and it's the same versus an ai if there was like three variations in this i think it would help a lot but you don't have that it's like just jumping from a from an airplane time in right. the shoot open <laughs> that's it so i don't know i wasn't i didn't really like it to be honest i give it a one and a half out of ten it's not bad there's nothing about this game that's bad it's just not for me i don't know um it's just boring i think and so for relevance i gave this kind of low too i give it a 3.75 out of 10 i don't really know much about this game i don't think many people do it does come out on the Atari 2600 later and that version seems to be a lot more popular so I had to give it some points for that but I don't think this version is particularly popular and then for overall I give it a 2.25 it's not terrible <laughs> it's just not going to be game of the year you know <laughs> right yeah which is fine you know I'm glad it's not going to be like a worst game of the year but it's just going to be in the middle I think and to <laughs> me that's not really interesting yeah I mean, they can't all be winners with the amount of games that Atari is throwing out there. Got to yeah. do some weird stuff. This sounds like just uh, Canyon Bomber, but not fun. You know, <laughs> I like Canyon Bomber better because you get the you feel good when you see the the bomb like go and break like five bricks in a row or something. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah, that's all that it is. It makes a difference. There's point numbers on the rocks, and it's still timing, but you're bombing rocks. It's a lot more fun than just like a guy landing in a spot yeah and i feel like with canyon bomber the more you play the more you're like oh i'm really close to emptying the canyon i've got a goal in my head that's what i want to do and on this goal it's like hit the flag okay what am i gonna do next time hit the hit flag, the flag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it yeah. so 
I just wish there was something a little bit more to the, the gameplay. I don't know what that would be, but it's gotta be something. Maybe as you're falling down, you could shoot the other guy, you know, or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's too one dimensional for me. Yeah. So yeah, that was my Atari game. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe not as uh, exciting as mine, but let's move on and wrap up our arcade cabinets for our first half here. So for some honorable mentions, we have Super Destroyer, which was a cocktail table, and Breaker, which was the upright version of it by Layjack. And it's a breakout game where obstacles would deflect or change the direction of the ball. We've seen stuff similar to this before, uh, but we don't have too much info to say if this one was much different. And then we also have Block Invader by Layjack, Konami, and SNK which seems like it was just another version of Super Destroyer, maybe just a licensed version by Konami and some um, other companies. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to move into our Atari 2600 titles for the month of June. As a reminder, the dates for these are kind of sketchy. So this is where we think they are, but there's four cartridges that we have here in the month of June. The first one is called Codebreaker, and we believe this was used with the keyboard peripheral, which was a brand new peripheral for the console. As a reminder, I think the 2600 is like the only one that has like a bunch of controllers for it. It had the joystick, but also had like a driving dial for driving games. It had a paddle controller for like pong games. This one's called the keyboard controller, which is confusing to me because it's a numpad <laughs> that you plug in. Right. But it, I think, was used for Codebreaker and another one that we're going to do today. Codebreaker was a collection of 20 Mastermind and NIM games. And uh, do you still remember NIM, Wes? You must. Yes. I feel the, like it's been burned into our head. The lights. <laughs> the lights haunt me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and Mastermind is another one that we've covered many times. So yeah. we're going to leave this one for the honorable mention category. Thankfully, 20 of them, huh? That's uh... that's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> one two player versions of master well mastermind does actually have two player versions but still that's <laughs> but moving on from that we're going to take a look at the first cartridge that i got to look at in depth home run which as you might guess is a baseball game so home run just to start off with a little bit of background about the cartridge itself i always love looking at the arts on this cartridge and this is like a painted collage of a bunch of different baseball players who I think were from a bunch of different teams of the time, uh, which probably helps sell the cartridge if your favorite baseball player was on there. Uh, but that looked pretty good. There's tons of hilarious commercials for this, which maybe weren't hilarious at the time. There's a famous baseball player whose name I don't remember and I would probably get wrong anyway, but there's a famous baseball player in one of them, and he, the Atari computer pitcher strikes him out um and there's one where there's a mattel console i think coming up at some point but there's a baseball game for it and this guy just keeps showing pictures of the mattel baseball game and the atari baseball game he's like which one's better if you answered mattel you're obviously right and then at the end it's just like a commercial for mattel and they're just trashing atari the whole time which is really funny that one's not a commercial for this game but i thought it was hilarious and the game itself was created by Bob Whitehead, who I think we have mentioned before, but we'll also be hearing about him a lot in coming years. Uh, so just keep that in mind. 
But getting into what the gameplay is for Home Run, it plays a full nine innings of baseball. Uh, when it's on a home console, you don't need to charge people for it, so there's no reason to limit it at only four innings, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it has strikes, outs, several different options for how the outfielders are positioned. There could either be one outfielder, two outfielder, three outfielders all close together, or three outfielders all spaced apart. And there's some weird stuff going on with the rules where catching a ball that's hit doesn't result in an out. So I guess everyone's just hitting ground balls all all day in this game. Um, The way that you get outs in this is either you can strike somebody out as the pitcher, or after the ball is caught, all the outfielders disappear except for the one who caught the ball. And you then control the outfielder racing across the screen, trying to tag the, uh, the people who are running the bases, the other players. And the outfielder moves really fast, too. Like, you, like, bolt across the screen, and these poor guys are trying to run the third, and you just... It seems like you get them every time. But I do think there was a speed modifier, sort of like a handicap or a difficulty to make the outfielder slower. So there might have been some ways to cope with that. So as the pitcher, you move the ball left and right with the joystick. You can make it go faster by holding up on the joystick or slower by going down. So it couldn't do too many complex movements, but you could get pretty tricky with it. It would actually measure fouls if you went too far to one side. I didn't check if you could hit the batter. I should have tried that. Um, If you got a free walk for that, but I'm guessing it just counted as a foul. And when you're playing as the batter, you basically just have to move the joystick from its neutral position in any direction. And the direction that you move it doesn't matter, but the timing of when you swing at the ball is what determines where it goes, and also the angle that the pitch was coming in when you hit it, I think also determines where it goes. You can also, when you're playing as the at-bat team, stop the person who's running to the next base by hitting the bat button before they get there. Apparently this was really hard to do because they run the bases kind of fast, but the computer, if you're playing one player against the computer, like always just stands on the baseline once they catch the ball and wait for you. So if you don't stop your person, sometimes it's like an automatic out, basically. Mm. Another notable thing about the gameplay is that it moves really fast, which is really nice. Uh, Nine innings in a game can sometimes feel like way too much, but this goes super quick. You're just pitching, ball goes fast, batting goes fast, it flies off the screen or it gets caught where the outfielder catches the ball and then tags three of your people in one turn and the inning's over. So there's, for better or for worse, it moves really fast sometimes. But getting into my ratings for it, for graphics, I gave it a 1.5 out of 10. I'm giving it a little bit of grace because it's on a console, but it really doesn't look that great. Um, Again, we're just before when we were spoiled by the Atari 2600. Now we're spoiled by the Astrocade. This is just, you know, kind of simple, plain colors. There's a total of seven players, sprites, on the field at a time, all of which look pretty good. They are human-shaped, which is more than we can say for some games. They have eyes. They have an indication of a mouth, which, if you think about it too hard, makes it seem like their mouth is always open. And they actually do have a baseball cap on. So, you know, there's a little bit of stuff going on there. The pitcher sticks his one leg up after he throws the ball, uh, but they don't look too, too detailed. Other than that, the visuals are just square bases, a bat, which is always 
on home base. It's not held by any of the player sprites, but they're they do put a player sprite next to it when they're batting, which is nice because in a lot of these games it's just a floating bat. This is a floating right. bat, but there's a guy standing there, so it's a, it's a step in the right direction. <laughs> and the colors are good, but it's just green for the background, white for the bases, and the red and blue for the players. And for whatever reason, maybe they thought it would look weird with players running over a baseball diamond. There's no baseball diamond. It's just four bases on this empty green expanse. Uh, so I thought that was weird. I would have liked, you know, white lines between all the bases or something. Did they uh, have any like animation when they moved or anything, or was it just like sprites sliding across the screen? <laughs> I'm pretty sure, like, really quickly, one foot got shorter and then got longer again, and like it alternated. You know, so their feet were just like up and down okay. really, really fast. And they also switched sides to face different directions so the pitcher was like always facing the other direction until he pitched and then he put one leg up and he was facing the other direction so there was some small stuff that actually made it look like they were moving the weird thing with the players running the bases though is that they got really dim and they like flickered a lot i'm guessing maybe they like alternated like half of the pixels displaying at a time so that they could get it to move around the bases fast because i'm sure that was a hard thing to do at the time i'm not sure but they were like a little bit hard to see when they were running the bases which makes it a little hard on the outfielder who has to tag them <laughs> and then for sounds i gave it a one out of ten there's nothing too special going on with the sounds the main one is that when they're running around the bases there's like this almost looney tunes style pitter patter noise for them running which is pretty good but there's no real noise for pitching, and there's just a small beep for hitting a ball. And for a game called Home Run, there's just a beep for a home run. Uh, uh, yeah, the computer got a like out-of-the-park home run on me when I was playing it. So the guy ran all four bases, and then it just went boop. I was like, ah, oh, well, that's... <laughs> you need a little bit more if you're a uh, baseball game. them for gameplay i give it a two out of ten it's really simple but it's this nice quick arcadey take on a baseball game that we haven't seen a ton of i'm comparing it to like the astrocade tornado baseball which is a little bit more in depth this is you know, i just like sit down play it and have some fun with it which has some drawbacks but it's nice because it nine innings flies by uh, you do have some control over the pitch which is really nice you have to time your hit right to make sure it goes at the angle you want it to go, so there is some skill involved. I could see it being a lot of fun for two players when you're both learning it together, but I feel like as soon as someone learns how to play the outfield well, you're like done for. The outfield just seems so much stronger in this, even though there's only three of them, or oddly enough in some modes if you only select it so there's one of them, it's easier because you can move across the whole screen. When you have three outfielders on the screen at the same time, you can only move as far left as the leftmost outfielder. So like you, if you're trying to catch with the center person, you can only move like a third of the amount of the screen as if you only had one outfielder playing at a time. Hmm. So there's some weird dynamics like that, but in general, the outfield seems pretty powerful in this. 
but since you can change the amount of outfielders and their speed, I think it works out pretty well. You can adjust for what kind of difficulty and power for each player when you wanted to play. I would like a little bit more control when I'm hitting. I mean, I don't know how hard it would have been to do, but just like being able to push up left to get it to go past third. I don't know if I'm <laughs> picturing the baseball uh, diamond right in my head, but either way, to be able to actually aim it instead of just kind of flicking the stick and it goes wherever it goes based on the timing, that would have been nice. But overall, I think there is still a decent amount of gameplay and like skill that you can put into this. And it's not just like a random number generator baseball game, which we've seen some like that before. Don't, don't mention those. Yeah, yeah, which <laughs> we try not to think about. <laughs> and for relevance, I gave it a 5 out of 10. I feel like this is really one of Atari's first big forays into baseball games. We've seen lots of baseball games, but they haven't done a ton of them. And this, even though it's this kind of weird, goofy version of it, it's pretty good. So I think it's pretty relevant for that. I think Tornado Baseball for the Astrocade does a lot more, but Atari's at least putting out their own version of it and saying like, hey, we haven't done many baseball games, so now there's a baseball game on our home console, and they're keeping up with other consoles by putting a variety of games on theirs, which is really nice. So overall, I gave it a 1.5 out of 10. It's a pretty good, but not great, baseball game for a home console. The looks are a little bit rough, but still, it plays nine innings in color on a home console, and that's worth something. Uh, I think the outfield is the most fun to play in this, just like chasing down the people as they're running around the bases. But since the innings move so quickly, that's not necessarily a bad thing, because everyone's going to get a lot of chances to play outfielder. And that yeah, is nice. a home run, yeah. I thought it was really interesting that home run is like played in in a distinctly different style than tornado baseball, which I could yeah. have sworn if they had if they were going to do a baseball game, it'd be basically a clone of tornado baseball, but it wasn't. It was their own take on it, which I appreciate a lot. It, it felt like a more arcadey take on it. Right. Yeah. It doesn't follow all the baseball rules. They didn't try to shove as many outfielders in there as they could they're like oh we'll just do one two or three and i think even though it's weird it worked out for him yeah yeah i thought it was cool all right let's move on we got two more cartridges here for you guys the next one's called hunt and score it's also known as concentration it's another match card guessing game that had eight variations apparently um probably only like two but uh, <laughs> i i think that one also used the keyboard peripheral Oh, I don't remember. But anyway, it's a concentration game. There's not much to say about it. <laughs> and then moving on to my last review for the day. This is the final cartridge that came out in June for the 2600. It's called Outlaw, and it's a Western gun type cartridge. And unlike Skydiver, I feel like this is kind of Atari at their best or at their close to best. <laughs> I feel like they had to have known that this was going to be a, a seller, and so they put some more effort into it. I still don't think it's as good as the original launch lineup with games like Combat right. and Air-Sea Battle, but it's pretty close. Like I do think they tried really hard about with this one, and that makes it really interesting to me because I can also compare it to the gunfight for the Astrocade that we did not too long ago. So, yeah, I'm... Um, 
this will be a cool one. So <laughs> let's talk about Outlaw. Outlaw was an original Atari arcade cabinet, but it was a light gun game. So they just stole the name, but it's very clearly, you know, a gunfighter Western gun type game. There was 16 variations on it. Let me talk about the game itself and those variations first before I get too into what it looks like. The basis of all these Western gun or gunfight games is that you got two characters, one on the left, one on the right, and they're shooting at each other. And you're just trying to shoot each other and hit each other more than you get shot. And that's basically the game. Sounds very simple, but it's fun. It's a PvP shooting game. It's, it's great. So the 16 variations here. You have some that are barrier-based. So you've got your two characters. There's something always in the center of the screen. I don't think there's actually a variation where it's empty. There's always something. It's either a wall, a cactus, or a stagecoach. <laughs> and some of those we've seen before. The stagecoach has been in like the original gunfight. The cactus as well. The wall has not been. Um, I believe um, the only time you get a wall is with this other variation controller added, which is that all of these barriers can be static or moving, including the wall, which is weird. And oh, they can weird. also be destructible or not. So the wall, for instance, since it's a solid wall, I believe it's always destructible. <laughs> But the other ones can be destructible and be moving as well. Or I don't think the cactus moves. So I think it's just the stagecoach and the wall. But yeah, the wall's weird because it's kind of like playing Breakout where you hit the wall and a part of it goes away. And then the wall's like moving upwards and wraps around the screen. So you shoot again and now like you've hit a different point. It basically <laughs> just means that people have to shoot like 20 times before you can actually shoot somebody. <laughs> <laughs> but those are the... Uh, the barriers and a lot of the variations are just which of those things are there and if they're moving or destructible but there's some other interesting variations as well the general scoring for the game is that you've got unlimited ammo and you're trying to shoot the other person 10 times before you get shot 10 times and whoever does that wins but there's a special mode called six shot where you each person only has six bullets and then uh, you don't reload until your opponent is also out of bullets. So if you save your bullets until your other opponent doesn't have any left, you can then just take your time and try to get them, <laughs> you know, try to snipe them. But uh, once six bullets runs out for both people, then they'll get a reload. So that's a new variation. And then finally, you have some that have to do with the bullet itself and your ability to move. So there's a mode called Getaway where... Usually when you shoot a shot, your character can't move until that bullet has done whatever it's doing. So your guy is kind of stuck until it's done. But with getaway, you can move immediately after shooting. So that's a variable you can change. And then there's also one that allows you to make it so that if you get shot, your bullet will disappear. Usually when you get shot, your bullet can still kill the other person if you had you know, shot it before you got hit. So you can have like a double <laughs> death or something where you like both trade, die. Yeah, trade kill. <laughs> yeah, but you can make it so that that doesn't happen. And those are all the variations. There's also a one-player mode, which is just there's a moving target on the one side, and you're just trying to shoot that uh, like 10 times, which is not near as fun. But uh, there's, you know, some of these variations with that one player version as well 
But that's kind of it. Those are all the variations. It's actually a fair amount, I think. I like the wall, the cactus, the skate, the stagecoach. I feel like at least the cactus and stagecoach you had to have in there. <laughs> Otherwise, it wouldn't feel right. And the walls, it's okay. And then the other ones are all like pretty interesting. I think six shot changes how you might play the game a little bit. Getaway changes how you might play the game a little bit. So, and the, you have a one player mode, even though it's not great. It's, I think the one player mode is boring, but it's better than not having anything. It, obviously, it would be better if there was AI in the game, but there's no AI. So it's either two real people or you're shooting at targets. But those are all the variations. So let me talk now about my scores. Let's start with graphics. I gave graphics a 2.5 out of 10. You have some nice looking graphics. Like the stagecoach looks good. The cactus looks good. The target looks good. The player characters look good and they have actually more animation than I would have thought. So you have them when they stand up. I don't know. It looks like um, they're bow-legged a bit, <laughs> but right, they, have yeah. a, they have a hat on at least, and they're looking at each other, and they're standing up. But when you shoot a shot, they'll kind of like go down on one knee and then shoot like a shot, which is kind of interesting. They'll also walk around when they're standing and I'm walking, so their legs will go a little bit. And then when they get hit, they actually like lay on the ground for a second. <laughs> so you have a couple different states there, which is nice. Each person can also aim in three directions, straight on, up and down. And the up and down do bounce off the walls. It only will do one bounce. So you can never bounce it off the back wall, for instance. But um, I believe in every single game mode, you can bounce it off the walls. So it's, it's like how to play the game. They want you to do that. Especially with like a static stage coach in the middle of the playfield, like you have to bounce it off the walls. So right. they're, they're really they're really going for that, and I appreciate it. And your your character, you can like there is a different kind of way that they move their arms depending on if you're shooting straight on, up or down. So all that's in there, and it's nice. And like I mentioned, there is parts where the stage coach and also the wall are moving. So the stagecoach, it's not like um, you can see wheels moving or anything. It's just a sprite going up and scrolling along the screen. But it's nice. There's some moving graphics to it, you know, besides just the characters. So all that looks great. The only downside to all these things are everything is too big. <laughs> the resolution is just not good enough. The player characters take up a decent portion of the screen and that makes it really easy to get hit. And also stuff like the stagecoach and the cactus, for as detailed as they are, they also take up a massive portion of the screen. Like, if you have a stagecoach, I don't think you can pass it, like, run underneath or above it, even if it's static, because it's too big. <laughs> and your character is too big. So, it's like a physical barrier. You can't pass it. So, I think for the resolution that they had, it's really good. But... The resolution is a problem for me. It's, everything's just too blocky and too big. So that's where the it kind of goes down a little bit. It is in color, and for a lot of the games, you have a different color play field. It just basically changes the color palette of all the sprites in the game. So you could be playing on like a yellow background or an orange background, and your character could be pink or blue or purple or something. So all those things kind of change, and then that's all great, but 
I don't know, when everything looks as blocky as it does, I feel like it takes away a little bit. Yeah. It is cool to have the destructible terrain because everything's so blocky. It's pretty easy to know what part of the terrain will be destroyed if your bullet hits it, which is interesting. But, uh, yeah, so just a 2.5 out of 10 there. For sound, I gave it a 2.25 out of 10. There's not a whole lot to go off of here. You have a shooting sound, you have a getting hit sound, and you have a sound that plays when it the bullet hits off the wall. But very noticeably, there's no funeral march theme. <laughs> which was in the Bally Astrocade version. There's no music at all in this. And uh, that is like, I don't know if I should be expecting music to be in here necessarily, like, because I don't think we're at the point where I can be doing that, <laughs> expecting, but it definitely feels like a bit of a, a lower down version compared to the Astrocade. Right. Like we, we know what this is taking inspiration from. So it's yeah. a little bit like, well, that was a big factor in the fact that this doesn't have it. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't sound bad. You know, I think the Atari 2600 sounds, they're not Pong sounds, right? So that's all good. All that's good. And there is a real shooting sound, but we've heard better, though. And then for gameplay, I actually really enjoyed the gameplay for this. I give it a 3.25 out of 10. A lot of the variations actually do make a difference in this, I feel like. Like, if I was playing this, I might want to play it with a cactus that's destructible, and then I might want to play it again with the stagecoach that's moving, and then I might want to play it again with the six-shot mode. So I think a lot of the variations are really good. I wouldn't say that there's 16 good ones, <laughs> but... There's a decent amount, and when you compare that aspect to the Astrocade, which basically only played one version of the game, I enjoyed this a lot. So, the variations do help. I feel like it's a perfect example between the two consoles. The Astrocade looks better, sounds better, but we have a, maybe a slight gameplay improvement from the 2600 in terms of the variations, and just the depth and replayability of it. I think you get a, a little bit more here. So I really enjoyed it on a certain level. You can't mess up this game. Gunfight, it's always going to be good. So right. <laughs> <laughs> there's that. But um, yeah, I enjoyed it. And then for relevance, I gave it a 6.75 out of 10. I think this is Atari's first time doing a game like this, a gunfight type game. And... um. That's good. It's good to see them do that finally. <laughs> uh, I think you can't have a second-gen console and not have a game like this on it. I feel like it has to be in the library somewhere. So I'm glad that they did it, and I'm sure it's going to inspire other gunfight games because it is a 2600, and um, a lot of people are looking to the 2600 to do good stuff. So yeah. I really liked Outlaw. It's cool. Overall, I gave it a 2.75 out of 10. I couldn't quite get it to a 3 because of the blocky nature of the graphics and the pretty low resolution of everything. By the way, the playfield itself is in a box because there's a score above it that's on display the whole time. So the playfield itself is even smaller than it could be. Oh no, that just feels bad because you're like, I see that space up there. I know they could have used it. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's fine. Like, 
it doesn't ruin the game at all. It's just we've seen it done better on the Astrocade, you know? And yeah. even like I'd say it's it's simpler in terms of what it looks like from the original Western gun, and I'd say it's decently close to the original gunfight in terms of graphics, but it is still more blocky. And um I just feel like I was expecting a little bit more from that part of it. And because the characters are so big, it does affect the gameplay as well. Right. So, yeah, that's the only negative I have, but um, it is a big deal. So, gotta do what you yeah. gotta do. Yeah, well, either way, it sounds like an interesting one. And like you said, I mean, it's they're getting it out there on the console with both Home Run and Outlaw. We're like, hey, finally some games we've been waiting for Atari to do a good version of, and they're at least putting out some pretty good ones for the console. Yeah, I hope um, the future ones are going to be just as good. I feel like so far in 78, the lineup has been a little sketch, if I'm being yeah. perfectly honest. But compared to the launch lineup, which I thought was really good, I still think those games are really good. But since then, it's been a little sketch. So it's good to see Outlaw and Home Run here in June. But let's wrap it up with a couple more honorable mentions. We've got Top Runner by Sega, which came out in June. It's some sort of racing game, but we really don't have a lot of info. I think just a flyer. And then we have Trapeze by Exidy, which is a follow-up to Circus, but never really took off, and we don't have too much information on it. And then after that, we have Trampoline, a.k.a. TT Trampoline by Taito, which is just a licensed version of Trapeze. Uh, so as much as I love Circus, uh, we won't be seeing the successor, but that might just ruin Circus for me anyway, so that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but that'll do it for us today guys i hope you enjoyed today we did fire truck we did all atari games today fire truck skydiver home run and outlaw from the 2600 so it was atari centric day but we did talk about the history of midway and bally as well and we are still talking about the astrocade every now and then we, we can't not yeah it's it's yeah. like we said it's set the bar now we still love the 2600 and we know that the 2600 is historically more relevant but man that astrocade looks so good <laughs> it does it is weird because like a month ago if we had seen home run and outlaw we'd be like these are the best looking games of all time exactly yeah yeah <laughs> so it's a weird feeling right now it's in that middle area where it's good but it's just like it's not the best though yeah it's like it could be better so yeah it's a weird time <laughs> for the 2600 but if you enjoyed that and you enjoyed going through the weirdness of Atari and wondering if they're still the best with us, make sure to follow us on Twitter. We'll put updates there about all of our episodes and when they're going up. Check out our website where you can get more information about the developers and all the games that they've put out and also just the timeline to see everything that we've covered so far. And send us an email if you have any questions. And with that, we'll see you next week for bum, 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 Space Invaders. Oh, you got to be there. See you all next time. <laughs>
Yeah, I think that sounded perfect too. Nice. On fire. All right, man. It's all you. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs>